Good morning. Again, welcome to Cross Point. Uh, if you have, uh, don't know who I am, my name is Kent Heinrichson. I'm the youth and college pastor here at Cross Point. I want you to raise your hand when I ask a question that uh, applies to you, and please keep your hand raised. Who in here feels a little tired? Possibly exhausted? Keep your hands raised. Parents, how many of you would love to get rid of all distractions and take a nap? Yes, I see some double hands raised back there. Yes. Students, who in here is longing for summer break to get a rest from your studies? Keep your hands raised. Keep your hands raised. Who in here just wants to get rid of some worries about their work? Maybe some family issues with extended family, and they just want to go on a vacation, not to deal with certain burdens or trials of life. Keep your hands raised. Who in here wants to grow deeper in their relationship with God, but just seem, but they feel like life is way too busy to slow down to do so? One, I want you to look around and see that you're not alone because my hand, I have two hands raised as well. This is me. You're not alone. Two, I believe our responses show that we all, in some form or fashion, are in pursuit of of rest. Now this morning we're going to be looking at two different passages. Uh, one in Luke 13 verses 10 through 17 and one in Luke 14 verses 1 through 6. Now as, as we go there, I just want to share these passages as I was thinking and studying this morning. They remind me of a Buckeye. I know this sounds weird, but just stay with me for a second. When you look at a Buckeye and its shell, it looks pokey, rough, frankly, kind of unappealing. At first glance, you wonder, what is so special about a Buckeye? But upon further examination, you break open the shell, you find that beautiful seed that you can collect and people use in various ways. You should see the picture, the next picture up there. If I can be honest with you, the same concept of thinking I have a complete understanding of something at first glancing at it, thinking that I know everything about it, until further discovery, seeing that there's something else, there's something more beautiful on the inside. I relate that to these passages this morning. At first glance, our passages, you'll see stories of miraculous healings by Jesus. And then you'll also see Jesus rebuking those Pharisees, and nope, nope, you got to do it this way. And some people will stop there when reading through these short passages, these stories that we will read through. But I believe that on a deeper level, when we slow down and take some time this morning, I believe we will see a beautiful teaching on Sabbath. Now, what does Sabbath mean? Sabbath means to rest from labor also means the day of rest. So, please meet me in Luke 13, verse 10, as we dive into our passages together. Now, just a side note, we're going to go through these passages uh, together, and then we'll talk about them collectively at the end. I'll begin reading from Luke 13, verse 10. Hold on, I am in Mark 13. That would be a problem. Luke 13, verse 10, as he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. Okay, I just want to stop right there and explain some context to our passages. As he was teaching 
the one in the synagogues on the Sabbath. We see that he is teaching in a synagogue. This means something significant. That means that he is invited as a guest teacher. Usually there is a synagogue leader. Jesus is going through towns. He's going from Galilee into Jerusalem. So he's traveling to town to town, teaching at synagogues and doing other things that we see in the Gospel of Luke. But he is invited as a guest speaker in this particular synagogue, most likely to test him. Think about it. If you're a Pharisee, a synagogue leader at that time, so Jesus is, is gaining popularity. They're testing him to make sure that he doesn't teach anything contrary to the law of Moses, that he's in line with what they would consider Torah or the law. We also see that it was the Sabbath, which is usually when people would go to synagogue to hear such a teaching. Now, the Sabbath during that time was vastly different from what was commanded in the Mosaic Law in the Old Testament. I just want to do a quick history lesson quick. The Lexham Bible Dictionary says the concept of Sabbath was modified over time. In the Old Testament, Sabbath began as a holy day for God, which included sensation or ceasing from secular work. During the intertestamental period, the time between the Old Testament and the New Testament, the Sabbath gained a legalistic tone, and it came to include detailed aspects of observance. And now during the New Testament era, where we see this story taking place, Jesus is addressing, and he clarified, the Sabbath meaning. So, in our stories, we do see Jesus come against this legalistic teaching that has been going on for some time. So, let's jump back. After having some background, let's jump back into verse 10, chapter 13. As he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, a woman who was there had been disabled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over, could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called out to her, Woman, you are free from your disability. And then he laid his hands on her, and instantly she was restored and began to glorify God. Now I just want to pause here and just digest what we just read, because we read something incredible happening. Like I said, on the surface level, there are some miraculous things that are happening. I don't want to t- dismiss those. I want to digest those appropriately. Here we see Jesus, again, like I said earlier, a guest teacher at a synagogue. And as he is teaching, his eyes of compassion spot a woman. A woman who has been disabled for over 18 years. That's a long time. To put this in perspective, Crosspoint is 18 years old. I was seven 18 years ago. 18 years is a long time. Jesus, in the middle of his teaching, pauses with his eyes as compassion meets the eyes of a disabled woman that has been struggling with this for 18 years. And he calls out to her, Woman, you are freed of your disability. He touches her and heals her. And then in response, she glorifies and praises God. What an incredible moment that must have been sitting there in the audience watching this happen. What an incredible moment to see the heart of Jesus in this moment. You would think that everyone else in the synagogue would be in awe and would start praising God. But what we find is is much different. Let's keep reading. Verse 14. 
the leader of the synagogue, indignant or very angry because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, responded by telling the crowd, there are six days when work should be done. Therefore, come on those six days or on those days and be healed and not on the Sabbath day. But the Lord answered him and said, hypocrites, doesn't each one of you untie his ox or donkey from the feeding trough on the Sabbath day and lead it to water? Satan has bound this woman, a daughter of Abraham, for 18 years. Shouldn't she be untied from the bondage on the Sabbath day? When he had said these things, all his adversaries were humiliated. The whole crowd was rejoicing over the glorious things that he was doing. In the end, we do see the crowd rejoicing and, um, and praising God, coming after what would have been, frankly, an awkward kind of situation. Attention filled moment for an audience member to sit through. Here we have a synagogue leader, someone who's probably well-respected and, and known in the community and, and regarded as a man of God in this area. He's very angry. It says indignant. It's a strong word for very angry at Jesus for healing on the Sabbath, which we would consider to be a good thing, right? But it was considered from the Pharisees' eyes, as, quote-unquote, working. The synagogue leader rebukes Jesus in a very passive, aggressive way, as he doesn't even look at Jesus. He addresses the crowd and tells them that it's their fault for wanting healing on the Sabbath. Little does this synagogue leader know that he is correcting Jesus, the very one who created the Sabbath. And little does he know that Jesus will ultimately teach him what it means and how to act on the Sabbath as he addresses him as hypocrite. And then Jesus goes on and gives this brilliant analogy. And I just want to look at this and dive, down, dive into this because I think it is beautiful and I don't want to miss this. Rhetorically, he asks the question, doesn't each one of you tie, untie your animals on the Sabbath so they can have the life-giving water that they need? Doesn't each one of you who have animals untie them from the post, lead them to a watering trough or watering spot so they can live, so they can have the source of life, water that will give them life? Jesus says, if this is true, then why can't this Jewish woman who's been bound for 18 years, 18 years by Satan, be untied and, lead, and led to the life-giving resource of God. See the hypocrisy in the Pharisees' teaching. And this is one of those kind of drop the mic statements that uh, Jesus gives. And it's in the response from the Pharisees, they're left speechless and humiliated. Now, there's, this is one story. Now, let's jump to our second story in Luke, Luke 14, verses 1 through 6. Let's read through this. And discuss them both at the end. Luke 14, verses 1 through 6. One Sabbath, when he went to eat at the house of one of the leading Pharisees, they were watching him closely. There in front of, there in front of him was a man whose body was swollen with fluid. In response, Jesus asked the law experts and Pharisees, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they kept silent. He took the man, healed him, and sent him away. He said the and then to, and to them he said, Which of you whose son or ox falls into a well will not immediately pull him out of the sap on the Sabbath day? They could 
find no answer to these things. Now, this story is very similar to the one we just read. The setting is on the Sabbath. Again, but instead of the synagogue, Jesus is in a house, is in a house of a leading Pharisee. And while at the house, Jesus is presented with, with a man who is in need of healing, knowing that uh, this was a probably another test from the Pharisees to see what he would do. He asked them, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? With no response giving, and knowing probably what had happened previously um, in the other town, in the passage that we read in Luke 13, the Pharisees were scared to answer. They were scared to challenge Jesus' teaching on the Sabbath. Jesus heals the man and then points out their hypocrisy. Even though they didn't say anything, Jesus could distinguish, could know their thoughts, and knew that they were fuming on the inside, just like the synagogue leader was in our last story. Now, this story in Luke 14 marks the fourth time in Luke's gospel, listen to this, this is important, that Jesus heals on the Sabbath, and the third time that he has had to correct false teaching of the Pharisees. Again, on a broader context, we see this, and we're like, this is awesome. We get to see parts of Jesus. But on a deeper level, I think it's safe to say that the Sabbath was something Jesus felt was necessary for people to understand, have a correct view on, and be able to live it out. Because this topic is so important to Jesus, then I believe we too should consider studying it and having a better understanding of the Sabbath. So let's just do that for a few moments this morning. First, let's talk about the Pharisees' view of the Sabbath. What, what was wrong with it? The Pharisees' view of the Sabbath. At the root of their view was a false teaching of legalism. Now, what is legalism? Legalism is, is this process that if you follow God's law perfectly, then somehow you will be able to obtain God's favor on your life. God, if I do this, then this will happen. You must do this for me. It's that thinking of legalism. The issue with that is that legalism puts the focus on the person's work to do good, that focusing on the person's work and the ability to uphold the law perfectly instead of relying on the good work that God has already done. With their legalistic mindset, the Pharisee added laws based on off how they interpreted the command to observe the Sabbath day. Now, here are just a few limitations that the Pharisees put on Jewish people during that time. This is ridiculous. When I, when I read these, like, these are comical to me to, to read. Number one, you could not wear perfume on the Sabbath day. You could not open a sealed vessel or an open container. You couldn't draw water into a vessel or a container. You couldn't ride an animal, so there goes your transportation. Couldn't ride in a boat, there goes that. Couldn't start a fire, so hopefully it wasn't a cold winter. Couldn't walk farther than a thousand cubits, which is about a thousand steps. And if I had to guess, some of you have already uh, topped that this morning. You couldn't even have sexual relations with your spouse on the Sabbath day. And these are just a handful of examples that uh, of the additional laws that the Pharisees put on the Jewish people. 
Needless to say, the Pharisees made the Sabbath about following certain rules, and they instilled fear in those who didn't follow their guidelines or their limitations. Jesus addressed this false teaching and, and with this statement in Mark's Gospel, in Mark 2, 27. He told them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The commentator put it this way, Eventually Jesus noted um, in Luke 11, the number of rules that became a heavy burden. Instead of a freeing day for humanity to rest from its labors, the Pharisees made the Sabbath into a burdensome day of rule-keeping. So if that was how the Pharisees and the majority of Jews at that time were viewing the Sabbath, were practicing the Sabbath, then what was Jesus trying to teach? What was Jesus trying to teach about the Sabbath? Let's first clarify something. In the gospel, when Jesus is teaching uh, a correct view of the Sabbath, he is not getting rid of the Sabbath. He is not getting rid of the Sabbath. He's teaching that the Sabbath was meant to be a day to stop from your secular activity and to focus on the goodness of God and your relationship with him. What the Pharisees were doing was distracting the people from doing this. Because instead of having them focus on God, people were way too focused on themselves and not breaking one of the many laws that the Pharisees put into place. So in a sense, Jesus is, is just trying to get people back to the basic principles of the Sabbath. But here's my question. Why does Jesus stress having a correct view of the Sabbath? What's so important about the Sabbath? Should I care about the Sabbath today? We have to go back all the way to Genesis 2, 1 through 3, to find our answer. Genesis 2, 1 through 3 says this, So the heavens and earth and everything in them were completed. And on the seventh day God completed his work that he had done, and he had rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy, for on it he rested from all his work of creation. Here we see God declare the Sabbath as holy, which means set apart. For this purpose, set apart to be dedicated to God. Not only did he declare this, but he modeled it for us an example to follow. God rested, note this, God rested not because he was somehow tired or needed to rest. God rested to leave us an example for him to follow. Now, why would he do this? God knew that rest was important for the body. Our human flesh can only do so much. We are not immortal by any means. Our bodies need to recharge in a way. Sleep, to some contrary belief, and some people who, who may not uh, do this as much, sleep is healthy for the body. It's good for you. Rest is good for our minds. We have limitations on what we can do. Our physical limitations show us that we are the created, not the creator. I want to repeat this. Our limitations show us that we are the created, not the creator. We need to be reminded of that constantly because I don't know about you, but there are times when I want to be in control of certain situations in my life, and I need to be reminded that God is in control, 
not myself. So we know that observing the Sabbath and having rest is important. But here's something. Why is it so hard for us to actually do this well? Because we all acknowledge in the beginning of the service that we, in some form or fashion, are in pursuit of rest. Why is it hard for us to actually do this well? You'll see a screenshot of um, my computer, actually, um, from Monday morning. I want you to observe two things. One, even secular society and all these websites recognize that it is hard to rest. I typed in that question and a bunch of things pulled up. So one, even secular societies knows that it's important to rest and that majority of people don't know how to do this well. Second thing, I want you to notice, if you haven't noticed already, look at the very top of my screen, see all the tabs that I've opened up? I struggle with this as well, having a distracted mind. I feel like my life has a lot of moving parts, especially on Monday mornings, which is where my screen was. So I'm right there with you. I'm going to let you know, I struggle with this concept as well, living out this lost art of Sabbath and resting well, living out this lost art of Sabbath and resting well. Now, why is this hard for us? Our sinful nature desires to go to something else other than God when we feel stressed, when we feel tired. I don't know about you, but something that I struggle with as well, just being honest, is when it's nighttime, my bedtime comes around. I'm way too easily to get distracted by something on my phone, a screen. My mind is wandering 100 miles a minute, and I can't slow it down. And too often than not, I tend to worry. I tend to have, tend to have anxiety. I go to something to distract me from what will really help me in those moments to rest, and that is prayer. Our sinful nature is to desire to go to something else rather than God. I was, gonna, I was debating whether to share this illustration or not because it was, just happened to me yesterday. Um, I was in Germantown going through garage sales because it was the spring fling day in Germantown. If you're from that area, you may know what that is. Um, Amber and I were driving along the, on the, one of the roads in, in the neighborhood. I see a deer on my left side in a grassy patch area, and on the other side of this grass strip area, there's a fence, and it's, uh, it, it's got bars in between so people can't get through the fence, obviously. There's a biker coming towards me. The deer see, sees the biker, freaks out, sees my truck, freaks out. Instead of just staying there, which would have been the most logical conclusion for the deer, what does it do? It turns, sees this little hole in the fence that it thinks it can fit through, knows, and jumps, not over, oh, no, 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 jumps straight into the fence and gets stuck. Don't worry, eventually, a half hour later, after four guys trying to control this, this baby deer, and it wasn't a full-grown deer, it was, it was like a year old, like it was, it was a baby deer trying to control it, finally got it to set free. But how many, how many times have I experienced that? I see something that I'm stressing about. I see something that is distracting myself. 
And instead of resting and resting in the true source of rest, I go do something else that's really going to get me stuck and not focus on what I need to focus on. I thought that was a great picture yesterday. I was like, God, what, what did, why did you have me sit here to observe this for? And I was like, well, maybe a sermon illustration. Guess what? It was. <laughs> so it's hard. It's hard to rest well. So then how do we rest well? What can we learn from Jesus' teaching? What can we learn from these passages of how to rest well? When thinking about the Sabbath, we may be tempted to view it as purely just work, uh, resting from physical work. The Sabbath is so much more than that. True rest is so much more than that. Even though we may be physically resting, like on the weekends, potentially, it doesn't mean that our soul is resting. True rest is when we experience rest in all parts of our, of our humanity. We are both a body and soul. To experience true rest is to experience rest in all parts of our humanity, body and soul. So then, in order to rest well, we first need to find rest for our soul. We need spiritual rest. This is what Jesus is talking about when he says this in Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30. Come to me, all you you who are weary and burdened, I will give you rest. Take my yoke, yoke and learn from me because I am lowly and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If you've never experienced rest in your soul, may I suggest it's because you've been trying to live this life depending on yourself and trusting, instead of trusting the God of the universe. Could it be possible? that that's what's happening. If you've never had spiritual rest, there's good news. Today can be the day of your salvation because Jesus had already com- has already completed the work that was needed for salvation when he died on the cross for your sins. So if this is you, I pray, I ask you, come and know him and find spiritual rest. For the believer that has experienced rest in your soul, but right now, for whatever reason, you feel spiritually restless. Even though you may have a relationship with God, it can be easy to be distracted. It can be easy to want other things or go after other people to find rest. If this is you, I pray, confess it today. Confess to God. Repent of going to that other thing or that other person instead of going to God for true rest. Or maybe you're like me, and when we think about obtaining rest, it's only when a certain project is finished. For example, there are times I fall into this trap all the time. I just need to get through this week so then I can rest on the weekend. Or I just need to finish this task, and then I can rest. Then and only then can I give my full attention to God when I get something done. Let me tell you that those are lies straight from Satan right now. At any given moment, you can have spiritual rest. This is not something that you need to wait 
for the perfect solution or the perfect situation or the perfect circumstance. The commandment that Paul gives in 1 Thessalonians 1.17, pray constantly refers to this. At any given moment, you can give over your control of a situation, of your heart, your life, to God, and it starts with prayer. An exercise that I do um, when I find myself in this restful situation is to stop what I'm doing, take a few deep breaths in, and on the exhale, pray short prayers. Breathe in. When I exhale, God, thank you for today. Breathe in. Exhale. God, help me to trust you. Breathe in. Exhale. God, help me to rest and find my source of life in you. Do that for a little bit. You'll soon find yourself, instead of being restless, find yourself rooted and grounded in the rest and God. If you are always, notice I say always, because I realize that there are some situations that will make us physically tired for a season. There are some seasons of life that we're just busy and things are going on. If you are always feeling tired, there is a simple but terrifying thing that I want to tell you today. It's simple because it truly is simple, but terrifying because I struggle with this. Ready? Here it is. If you struggle with physical rest, say no to something. Terrifying because I struggle with this. I say yes to way too many things. Say no to something. Parents, I think it's vitally important that we model this for our children. Saying no, or, or maybe pausing secular activity, pausing physical activity to take a day, take a moment to rest. And while physically resting, model, parents, model to your children to engage with their God so that they are taught that they also need to rest spiritually. One of the greatest patterns that my parents taught me in life was that Sunday was a day to engage spiritually, was a day to go to church in the morning, was a day to go to youth events in the evening. And that as we rest, that it was also important to rest physically as we all took Sunday afternoon naps. And let me tell you, to this day, I still enjoy my glorious Sunday afternoon naps. Now, I encourage you to do the same parents. Model that same. Now, there's so much more that could be said, so much more that could be taught on this topic, so many different groups of people to address on this topic of rest. And to avoid of any of you taking your physical rest this morning while I'm talking, I'll end with this. <laughs> Today was just a brief overview, just a basic introduction to how to rest well. I challenge you for deeper, um, deeper understanding on rest, I highly encourage you to read this book called Radical Pursuit of Rest. The subtitle is Escaping the Productivity Trap. It's by John Kessler. He was one of my professors when I was moody. I challenge you, uh, if you find yourself struggling with this concept, this is my copy. I'll give it to you. Books are meant to give away after you read and intake the information. They're meant to be shared. First person to come to me and want this book, I'll give it to you. So if you feel like this is something that you struggle with and you need, I, I 
challenge you if you if you aren't the first one, go find it. It's on Amazon. It's on a lot of different book places. Buy it, read it. It'll be good for your soul. Use it as a family devotion. Use it to teach your kids and yourself and to what it means to rest. Now, in closing, I'll say this. And all of our efforts to rest in this life points to the day that we will have eternal rest with God in heaven when this life is over. And this is only possible because of the work of Christ, that Christ did on the cross. And because that work is finished, when he said it is finished, it is truly finished, true rest, spirit and body, is made available to us. And to challenge you, encourage you to rest well. Right now we're going to transition into a time of communion. I think communion is a great reminder for us as, as we, uh, of rest as we stop, reflect, as we pray, right? First thing to do if you're struggling with rest, pray. As we stop, reflect, pray, and turn our eyes to the source of rest, Jesus Christ. So if the first impressions team could come forward, pass out the elements. During this time, I want you to reflect. If you need to confess sin to God, take time to do it. Sit. If you just need to take time and sit and rest in His presence, take time to do it. We'll have some music going, and in a couple minutes I'll come back up, but sit in His presence right now. First Corinthians 11, 23 through 26 says this, For I received from the Lord what was passed unto you on the night when He was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took the bread, and he had given thanks, broke it, and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat the bread. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper and said, This is the cup. This cup is the new covenant of my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's drink the juice. Let's pray. Father, we just want to thank you. We just want to praise you right now, God. You are an awesome God. God, we just want to thank you for the work that you've done on the cross. As we do communion in, re in remembrance of your love for us, your blood that was spilled on the cross, your body that hung up there, you took the penalty for our sins. God, we know that you raised again three days later. Jesus, we praise you and we just glorify you this morning. Thank you for doing the work that is required so that we can find true rest. Jesus, we love you. God, we love you and we praise you. Serve you in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.